0: Welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent, Jonathan Carr. And I'm ABC News Political Director, Rick Klein. Rick, we, got a, we have a very interesting guest today, by the way. I want to get right to mention right at the top here. Seth Moulton, Democrat of Massachusetts, one of these, you know, trying to encourage a new generation of leadership. He has taken on Nancy Pelosi, and he's been recruiting veterans around the country uh, to run for Congress uh, as, as Democrats. So we'll be talking to him shortly. But... But, Rick, we gotta, we got to start with uh, the North Korea. Are we, are we going to Singapore or not? I, full disclosure, I have already booked my flight to Singapore to cover the Kim Jong-un, Donald Trump summit. But is it going to happen? Do you have the coin? I mean, can they... I, I, I've tried so hard to get that <laughs> you coin. You've got
1: to get this, one of those. <laughs> this, is, this
0: is the equivalent of the Honus Wagner uh, baseball card. Um, right. I, mean, I mean, if this summit doesn't happen, think how valuable those coins are. I am told... Uh, I don't remember who told me, so please don't. Uh, you know this sure. is this is uh, this is not confirmed, but I've been told by somebody somewhere that there were 250 coins made. Ooh. That would be a pretty that valuable. Is, yeah, sorry. I, 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 and I've been trying to get a hold of them. It was the White House Communications uh, Agency that that uh, that made these coins. Now that is not the White House. That's not the White House Communications Office. It's not. Any political appointee, it's a military office. They travel and do the kind of audiovisual uh, stuff for, ah. for, for the White House. So it's it's military strings, personnel. John. They Pull love their strings. challenge coins. Pull. I know. I am trying. So, I, maybe maybe Louis Martinez over at the Pentagon can help us. Is out it worth more listening? or
1: less if there isn't a summit? Is what I want to know. Is I it, think the, it's the worth summit th- that never was becomes more of a novelty. I wonder if that's something, John.
0: Or is it? Or the
1: the summit that makes history? But then they'll probably make more coins. Then they may make more of them. They'll be imposters. Here, I John. It, it, it feels to me like President Trump has already gamed out this summit in his head, and he knows exactly how he wants it to go. And he has made maybe the mistake or maybe the, the brilliant calculation that he's going to get it. So he's forecast it all in advance. And he has said that this is going to result in permanent, irreversible denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. And that is what he's going to have happen on June 12th. And since the I announcement— think it's
0: complete irreversible denuclearization. Um, uh, Denuclearization. Where did I go? That's about right. Yeah, it's it. Yeah,
1: that's a lot. That's a lot for one day, and it's a lot to do in any any summit. irreversible, Irreversible,
0: verifiable, verifiable. Uh, denuclearization.
1: He wants it so bad. He wants this to happen so, But he's got a Zen-like
0: so attitude. I mean, this, this was in the Oval Office, where he took about 35 minutes worth of questions. This is like, you know, we, he hasn't had an actual press conference, you know, real one, not the joint press conference, <laughs> of the, you know, since, since February of last year. But this was longer than... You know, some press presidential conference. press conferences. And it was all while he was sitting next to the leader of uh, of South Korea. Take a listen. If it does, that'll be great. It'll be a great thing for North Korea. And if it doesn't, that's okay, too. Whatever it is, it is. Okay, sirrah, sirrah. But he said there's a substantial chance that it doesn't happen by June 12th. It could happen later. Although I have to say, listening to the full 35 minutes, this sounded like a president who fully expects the summit to, to take place. Uh, was prepared to make some concessions. He suggested for the first time that uh, he may not, you know, that, that he wasn't ruling out the possibility of accepting something where the North would get some benefit before fully, completely, irreversibly uh, <laughs> denuclearizing. Uh, that they could get some benefits. Um, so, th- so this seemed like a president who is who, who wants this to happen and thinks it will happen.
1: And it's it, to me, it's still it's unknowable, as unknowable as the broader Trump doctrine, whatever that turns out to be, as to whether this is your uh, typical and expected pre-summit negotiation through the public, through very t- even two unconventional actors in Kim Jong-un and President Trump, or whether this is real blowback at some of the things that we've already seen out there. And the, the North Koreans have made clear their displeasure with John Bolton, the National Security Advisor. Um, the, the President has made clear his displeasure with what he views as the Chinese trying to get involved in this at a time of tense uh, negotiations with China over Economic and trade policy. Uh, we know that the North Koreans now. We've got some some new reporting on this that uh, they they stood up the Americans at a at a preparatory session that was going
0: to be held in yeah, Singapore. Cecilia Vega learned that this morning. So yes, interesting. So was that part of the
1: is that part of the dance or was that a severe setback? Uh, and again, the president has put his cards on the table. He has said this has to happen, and he's already. Basically, given himself the Nobel Peace Prize, or at least that lots of people are talking about him. Lots and lots of people.
0: So, but I want you you mentioned Bolton. One one thing I want to point out uh, before we take a quick break and talk to Congressman Moulton is if you if you look at the Oval Office appearance yesterday with uh, with with President Moon of, of South Korea, something very interesting in terms of the optics that is typical under President Trump and. I don't think we have ever seen any un, any other president. Just an optical thing, but the, the, yet you, you have the two leaders seated in the Oval Office in the two chairs. Right. We've seen that a thousand times under all different presidents, and you have the translator behind. You know, we, we've seen that. We, we, the, the, that that is that is what is typical. But beside them are those two couches. The couches were empty. Nobody was sitting in the couches. <laughs> um, that is typically where you might see the national security advisor, maybe the secretary of state, maybe the chief of staff, um, you know, the, 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 the top staff for the president, the president's senior most uh, advisors uh, on, on, on international relations uh, would normally be there president is sending a message but, you know, Bolton was in the room. He's standing off to the side. Actually, the cuts camera, you can, you can see Bolton kind of leaning against the wall <laughs> you know, near the door. Um, to the curtain. It's not about Bolton, though. This yeah. is a president who likes to send the message that he is in charge. Right. He is calling the shots. He may have aides saying X, Y, or Z. He may have aides that disagree with each other. He may have aides telling him everything. But I alone, that's his message. It's also, pay attention next time you see a, a, a cabinet meeting. Um, and, and try to think back in your mind to an Obama or a Bush or a Clinton or a, or, or a Bush 41 cabinet meeting or a Reagan cabinet meeting, go all the way back, he, he, what you will see is generally there is nobody sitting behind the president, his top aides. Again, normally you might see the chief of staff, the, uh, the top domestic policy advisors, top foreign policy advisors. He, the, the message that he sends is, I'm the guy calling the shots, yeah. I'm the national security advisor, and and is it this? Is that the same way? You think he
1: handles Kim Jong Un? Is that this is mano a mano? Yeah, this come on in. Two, just the, the two principles. Do you remember when show. he had
0: the discussion with with, with the one on one discussion at, at, at a dinner with uh, with Putin? Yes, which was like, oh my god, he doesn't have the people. You, know, you got to right. you know, he 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 thinks get him in the room with me. I'll do this thing.
1: And the concern we've seen based on based on some reporting out there. Is inside the White House whether the president himself can handle him, himself in these negotiations. That Kim, in some of the talks that he's had already with with Secretary Pompeo, he knows his stuff. He knows what he's doing in that, and is the president as read in and prepared to wheel and deal as Kim is in that. Because he
0: case. read in on the Punggye uh, nuclear test facility up north that there that and, they're and all the ramifications
1: does, you know? of of, of the history of what beyond, beyond sure. and
0: uh, the, the, the the difference between the uh, the in- uranium enrichment program and now you're showing off, john you're just uh, processing program <laughs> does he, you know how 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 uh, uh how red is he you know red and is he on this stuff and you know maybe maybe he's more red in than you think i mean maybe 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 not centrifuges is he big on centrifuges um i'm going to quote the president here
1: we'll see what happens
0: okay sirrah sirrah okay we're gonna take a quick break when we come back congressman seth moulton
1: brought to you by indeed used by over three million businesses for hiring where business owners and HR professionals can post job openings with screener questions, then sort, review, and communicate with candidates from an online dashboard. Learn more at Indeed.com hire. There's a lot coming at you right now. Turmoil, tweets, an insane amount of chatter. I'm Brad Milkey with ABC News, and I'm here to throw you a lifeline. It's a new podcast called Start Here, where our experts give you on the ground access to the biggest stories of the day. We're going to give you some context, some clarity among the chaos. 20 minutes every weekday. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or
0: wherever you get your podcasts and start here. All right, joining us now is Congressman Seth Moulton from Massachusetts, a uh, Democrat, uh, look, working very hard to elect Democrats in the midterm election. Thank you for joining us.
2: It's great to be back.
0: So, lots to talk about, very interesting uh, midterm uh, pr- primary night last night. Uh, but I, I want to I just start with something that we heard from the president of the United States last night. I'm going to play a little clip. But if Democrats gain power, they will try to reverse these incredible gains. These are historic gains. They will try and reverse many of them. So your vote in 2018 is every bit as important as your vote in 2016. Although I'm not sure I really believe that, but you know. (laughs) Know who the hell wrote that line? I'm not sure, <laughs> but it's still important. Remember All right. So I mean, you know, that, that's uh, kind of a, a little humorous aside, and 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 we know one person that definitely doesn't believe the midterm. This midterm is as important as the last election is Donald Trump. Uh, so I guess t- two questions. One is the kind of basic question: Is this election as important as 2016? But but more seriously. The first part of what he said: Democrats will try to reverse all the gains, and will in his his mind gains that that he's seen over the past year. Is that what happens if Democrats come over? How how win win control of the House? Win control of the Senate? How much will this be about reversing what Donald Trump has done over the past uh, year, and how much will it be about you know putting forward a, a new Democratic agenda? Well, if we're talking about how Donald Trump has
2: trampled the Constitution, the rule of law uh, and uh, the rights of Americans to have basic things like health care and the rights of our troops to be safe overseas and actually have a mission for what they're doing, um, then damn right. We're going to reverse those things. Uh, But I believe that Democrats can't just be opposed to Trump. We have to have an agenda and a vision of our own. And that's why I'm fighting for a new generation of leadership in the party. And that's why I got behind people like Amy McGrath, who won last night, because she's a leader. She's not just a Democrat. She's a leader. She's someone who's going to make a difference and have the courage to stand up uh, to the party bosses in Washington and the courage to be honest about the challenges that we face
0: in America. So we we talked to Tom Steyer here on the podcast not long ago, and he made the case that uh, the impeachment of Donald Trump, the effort to remove Donald Trump, uh, from office should be front and center for Democrats. The Democrats running should make it clear uh, that that if uh, if they win control of the House, that removing Donald Trump from office will be a top priority. Do you agree with that?
2: Well, it depends on what Donald Trump does, but I know that if uh, if we take response, you know if we if we take uh, control and have the responsibility to oversee impeachment hearings, they've got to be bipartisan. It's got to be Democrats and Republicans coming together, as they did uh, under Richard Nixon, to say this is wrong for the country. The president has violated the law, and that's why he needs to be impeached. So it's a solemn responsibility. And uh, to say that, you know, sitting here today, um, we know that that'll be the number one thing, the number one thing that we need to focus on uh, down the road, I don't think is right. I don't think Tom's right about that. Uh, there are a lot of Americans out there who are hurting today. Who can't get the jobs that they used to have? Uh, who are seeing their careers get automated out of existence? Not go away to uh, immigrants or coal mining regulations, like like Donald Trump would have us believe, um, but are just uh, the victims of a changing economy. There are families who are being decimated by opioids, and uh, I mean, I just I just talked to an amazing um, woman who lost her uh, brother a couple weeks ago um, to the mental health problems. I mean, there are so many people struggling in America today who need our help. That's what we need to focus on. And that's why it's important for Democrats to show that we're going to be real leaders. We're not just going to complain about the president or complain about the Republicans, even though there are a lot of things that are very legitimate to complain about. Uh, We're going to put forward a positive agenda that shows how everybody in America can have a role in the new economy, that shows what it means to have a smart and secure national defense, And it shows what it means to restore trust in government so we can actually believe in the people who represent us again.
1: So uh, we are getting a picture of of what the, the Democratic slate of candidates looks like. And it certainly looks a lot different than uh, your traditional candidates, particularly in some of the red states that have voted. And you, you just mentioned Amy McGrath, but also Gina Ortiz-Jones out in Texas, another candidate you worked for. Uh, beyond, though, the the fact that we have this record number of women, the large number of veterans, the large number of minority candidates, what is the banner of the Democratic Party? Is it As you say, uh, putting an agenda forward, what what specifically are the issues that Democrats say, look, if you elect us, this is what we do?
2: Well, I just talked about that. I just talked about how we need to make sure that we get a focus on the economy again and acknowledge that a lot of people are losing their jobs, not due to immigrants or regulations, but um, but due to the fact that the economy is changing and things are being automated out of existence. Um, I talked about why we need to lead on national security, because we have a president who's being utterly reckless. And I talked about what it means to have trust in government again, um, because right now people can't even trust what they see uh, on TV. They, we know that the president lies uh, with every other thing that he says, and that's not the, those aren't the ingredients of a functioning democracy. And we're seeing candidates who come out who have this basic integrity, someone like Amy McGrath is someone that people will look to not just as a Democrat, but as a leader. Someone who is, uh, so had the courage to be the first woman to fly an F-18 in, in, in combat in the Marine Corps, and therefore is going to have the courage to do the right thing when it comes to fighting her constituents. Even when the party disagrees with her in Washington D.C., uh, Gina Ortiz Jones, uh, same mold. I mean, she's an extraordinary leader, Air Force intelligence officer, someone who can, um, who can teach Donald Trump a lot uh, about national security. Um, she served her uh, country bravely as uh, a lesbian woman in the the military. Uh, Donald Trump, you know, dodged the draft five times to get out of, of serving. So the point is here. That Democrats aren't just putting forward people who've been waiting in line and you know working their way up through the political system. We're putting forth people that are real leaders uh, at a time when our country needs uh, integrity and honor uh, back in our politics.
1: You mentioned the economy. Would you repeal the the, the Trump tax cuts? I know you voted against them. Is all, is it all Democrats? Would you undo them?
2: Well, I wouldn't just undo them. I would make I would I, I would put forward a tax program that would actually help our economy and not just help uh, Wall Street and. The investor class now we've heard all the statistics about how over 80 percent of the benefits um in this republican tax bill uh that the president so gleefully signed go to people like the president and his friends uh the richest of the rich and that's not going to grow our economy uh, that's, that's a theory that's been disproven time and time again. But we do need to not just repeal it, but actually put in tax cuts that would work. So what does that mean? It means supporting the small, new, growing businesses that are actually creating the new jobs as old jobs uh, get automated out of existence. Uh, that means that you, you've got to embrace startups that are accountable for 100% of job growth in the last 10 years. Uh, that means embracing the new economy and entrepreneurs. Uh, not the biggest companies on Earth that are just going to take this tax break to buy back stock, which is exactly what they're doing. You know, when you have a big, giant, like... Um, you know, uh, a big cable company or something, um, just taking all these uh, tens of millions of dollars in tax breaks and just turning it over to their uh, investors in the form of stock buybacks, rather than raising wages, uh, rather than creating new jobs or fundamentally growing the company, then you know that the Republicans and and the president have gotten it wrong. But I think what you'll see from this new generation of of Democrats, people like Gina and Amy, is they're not going to come here just to complain about Trump. Uh, They recognize that a lot of people who voted for Trump also voted for them. And so what they need to do is put forward alternatives. And that's why I'm excited to work for them.
0: So you've been outspoken in saying, as you've said here, new generation of leadership, which is implicitly uh, criticizing the current generation of leadership for the Democrats, and you've been explicit uh, at, at times in in, in saying that uh, uh, it's it's time for for uh, for a leader other than Nancy Pelosi for for House Democrats. Can you help me understand? I understand the whole concept of new faces, and all that, but but can you tell me specifically where you think Nancy Pelosi and the current generation of Democratic leaders have gone wrong? What specifically, in terms of direction, you see? Uh, uh, what, what, what new direction you would like to see? What change? Well, I would in just ask, I mean, ways. I would just
2: ask you: are, are you seeing a Democratic leadership team right now that um, that really presents a vision for the future, or just likes to complain about Trump? So
0: is that? So I that's, mean, the, that's the, what that, I
2: hear from. That's what I hear from voters. Right? Is that they're just tired of the complaints about Trump, and you know, we we we've complained, uh, uh, you know, till the cows come home about how terrible this tax bill is. Um, But we haven't actually put forward a vision like I just outlined about a tax bill that actually supports um, the small and growing businesses that are really driving our economy right now. You know, that's the kind of tough, honest discussion that we have to have with the American people. That means some rich people might see their taxes go back up. And not everybody likes to hear that. But that's the reality of paying for uh, a tax bill that will actually support small, growing businesses that are creating jobs in small towns across America. Um, And, you know, the other thing that I think you'll, um, the other thing you see with these new candidates is many of them are running against the party establishment. You know, there's this sort of uh, party culture in Washington that we just like the incumbents. We like the people who are already here. Uh, We like the people who uh, the Washington establishment picks uh, rather than the folks who are uh, are coming up in these districts. And I think, you know, people will forget that um, that the party was against Amy McGrath. You know, the party went out and recruited... Uh, her opponent to run against her. And, uh, and you know, she, she proved them wrong um, by connecting so well with the voters of, of Kentucky. Uh, but fundamentally, she, she was out there willing to challenge the establishment, and the party establishment in Washington didn't like her. What the party establishment in Washington was saying, you know, we don't want people who challenge us. And I don't think that's healthy for, for I mean, what company would you want to join that actively discouraged talented people from applying? You know, when I ran for the first time in Massachusetts, I I was I totally new to politics and, you know, maybe too naive to know that you're not supposed to take on a an 18-year incumbent in your own party. And when I started running against this um, this incumbent, who I, I think wasn't very effective, he'd only passed one bill in his whole 18 years in, in Congress, uh, there are a lot of people in the Massachusetts Democratic political establishment who told me that not only will you lose, but you shouldn't even be doing this. You know, you're doing a bad thing to take on a, a, a fellow Democrat. And by the way, you'll never, ever run for anything again, because just by daring to do this, after you lose, you'll be forever shut out of Massachusetts politics. And think about that. I was a Marine veteran. I'd just come back from doing four tours in Iraq. So what they were fundamentally saying to me was, Seth, do not participate in the democracy you just risked your life to defend. And I think that Amy, in some ways, was hearing that same message. And, and the party had another candidate running against Gina, too. So right. Gina was hearing that message. And both Gina and Amy have risen above that by connecting with voters who believe in them. That's the kind of leadership that we need, and that's the kind of leadership that's willing to stand up to the party establishment. Hey. That's just not the party establishment leadership that we have right now in Washington.
0: Hey, hey, just, by the way, when you say that you were told, you were essentially told not to run or discouraged from running, can can you be specific? I I think of the Democratic Party leaders in the state, people like Ed Markey, Elizabeth Warren, uh, were were, were those among those that were not uh, encouraging of your candidacy?
2: (laughs) I mean, look, it was at all levels. I'm not going to name names, but I mean, you know. So that would include Elizabeth Warren. Everybody, you know, everybody was working against me, but it was even sort of the um, you know, sort of down to some of the 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 local machines, you know, the right. um the, the democratic town committees and whatnot, um, who just didn't even want to give a new guy a chance. And um and that's wrong. I mean that's sort of a, that's just a that's systematically bad for uh for our party. And um and you know, this is actually a place where to be, you know, bipartisan, I'll say the Republicans have actually done a better job. The Republicans have gotten out and uh, recruited new people to run. Uh, if you look at their leadership team in the House, it's, it's much younger and more dynamic than ours. Now, the Republican Party has plenty of problems. I mean, they can't even pass uh, a budget um, when they have majorities in the House, the Senate, and, of course, control the White House. Uh, so I'm not trying to say that the Republicans are perfect, far from it. Um, I think they're running this country into the ground with their leadership over the past couple of years. But in terms of an organization that's able to recruit talent, um, they've done pretty well. And you know what? Maybe that's why they're winning. Maybe that's why the Republicans do have majorities in the Senate in the House, because they're getting great candidates out there. And I think historically, we just haven't done a good enough job of that in the Democratic Party. And that's why I focus so much on, on encouraging and recruiting and supporting um, people like uh, Gina and Amy. And I've got 18 others, I've endorsed 20 veterans uh, running in contested house seats across the country. And my number one criteria it's just that they've got to be great leaders. They've got to be people that that, that voters will believe in, that I'm proud to attach my reputation to. And, uh, you know, they've also got to be in winnable races. They've got to be the best uh, uh, primary candidate in a tough general election. But fundamentally, they're good leaders. They're people who can come to Washington and not only yeah. restore Democratic majority by winning,
1: but actually... Actually, start to change our politics. So, Congressman, I want to ask you about a name that isn't on the list, and it's an interesting test case of the exactly the the, the kind of challenges that you're talking about. Uh, Ayanna Presley, 44 year old uh, Boston City Council, the first African American woman ever to sit on the Boston City Council. She's launched a primary challenge against your colleague in the Massachusetts delegation, Mike Capuano. Uh, it, 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 a lot of parallels, to my mind, in in talking about. Uh, Capuano, a guy that's been around for a while, and your challenge against tyranny a, a, a couple of, couple of years ago, she's having a hard time getting the attention or the encouragement of the establishment in Massachusetts or beyond. Are you prepared to support Ayanna Presley and support her her candidacy against Capuano?
2: Well, I haven't made any endorsements um, outside of the veterans that I'm supporting uh, running for the House right now. Um, but I'll tell you this, uh, when um, when Congressman Capuano, who's a good friend and a colleague, uh, came to me and asked me for uh, his endorsement, you know, most of the other members of the delegation said, yep, we're with you, Mike. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm, I'm going to stay out of this because uh, I think I'd be a total hypocrite um, to to just blindly support the incumbent uh, when you have this uh, amazingly accomplished woman who has the courage to take on a primary challenge, just like I did with um, uh, with Congressman Tierney. But, you know, the difference is that just in three years, uh, I think it was after I said I wasn't going to get involved, but uh, two of the other members of the delegation, Senators Warren and Markey, also said that they're not going to endorse Capuano and they're going to stay out of this primary. And that didn't happen just three years ago uh, with me. So I think that that, that there's a this change of foot. You know, there's, a, uh, there's a, the, the Democratic uh, Party in Massachusetts is starting to get the message. Um, that um, that it's not enough just to, to support the, the incumbent. We've got to encourage new people to run. Are they getting that message full and through? No, because you're right. She is having trouble um, breaking in. Uh, but I'd say that she's been more successful already uh, than I was when I ran in 2014.
0: So I, I know you have to go one last question before you do, when you talk about a new generation of leadership, uh, uh, particularly in, in the House itself. Uh, do you see Joe Kennedy as, a, as, as somebody who Democrats should look to as, as as potentially as their leader in the House or certainly one of the top leaders in the House?
2: Absolutely. Uh, I do, and uh, I mean, he's a good friend of mine, and so, you know, i, um, I you know see whether or not he actually uh, wants to pursue it. He's a, he's a, he's a modest guy, um, but he is exactly the kind of new generation of leader that I think we need, and it would inspire uh, Democrats across the country um, to, to believe in our party again, uh, to believe in uh, a party that... You know has its roots in supporting uh, working-class people in growing the middle class in looking out for the people you know who are forgotten by uh, the political elite and I think we've 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 lost touch with our roots and uh,
0: would, would you encourage he, Joe Kennedy to run for speaker of uh, Democrats when controlled control the house
2: well I have uh, I don't <laughs> know if the I don't know if he if he will or not um, but um, but I've encouraged him and others um, to be willing to step up and and and, uh, and and give this a shot.
0: All right, Seth Moulton, Democrat of Massachusetts. Thank you for joining us here on Powerhouse Politics.
2: Hey guys, thanks for having me on.
0: Talk to you again soon. Okay. Uh, so there you go. You know, um, uh, interesting approach recruiting these veterans to yep. run uh, uh, up and down the ballot. But that that's a pretty blunt message that uh, the Democratic leadership is not providing new ideas. I even heard him. I think Rick. Praising the Republicans for recruiting high quality candidates. <laughs> uh, I, I, if we had more time, I might have wanted to ask, can we can we name you a give us some names on that? Yeah. yeah.
1: It, look, it, it, this is this is an intriguing thing for for Democrats because they've had a an embarrassment of riches, perhaps, in Democratic primaries. They've had too many candidates that are really strong candidates. I mean, look at Kentucky in the in in the middle of Kentucky to have a, a self-funded two-term mayor. Uh, running uh, and, and, and up against a uh, former Marine fighter pilot with three kids. I mean, what, what amazing resumes you have. And of course, Amy McGrath comes from nowhere to win that race. That has been, a, it's been an issue for Democrats. And a lot of the old institutions would say, let's go with the guy that's got the money. Let's go with the person in this red state that we is a pro- proven vote getter. Democrats, by and large, as, as voting right now, they're saying no to that. They're going with uh, some really uh, incredible backstories. Uh, We talked about Gina Ortiz-Jones. She's running out in West Texas now. Uh, She's a veteran, uh, an Army intelligence officer. Uh, She happens to be a lesbian and a Filipina-American. And you look in in Georgia, you now have a black woman vying to become the the, the first black female governor of any state in in Stacey Abrams. So. It's an intriguing list of people that are coming together to be the faces of the so-called resistance. It's not your father's uh, Democratic Party, certainly not in some of these red states, uh, and and a lot of them have these th- this history of service that Seth Moulton is talking about to try to um, to, to try to bring forward a, a different representation of what it means to be a Democrat. I'm also intrigued, John, by the answer on Pelosi and and the leadership team because. Clearly, Seth Moulton wants Pelosi to be gone. He's not alone in that prospect. I've yeah, had Demo- you seem
0: to seem to endorse uh, Joe Kennedy. Joe there Kennedy for a speaker, sounds like.
1: Or, uh... oh, I've had I've had I've had uh, Democratic House members who said have said to me privately that the the single biggest thing that could be done to ensure that they win the majority is to ensure that Nancy Pelosi is not going to be the House Speaker. To have her announce that publicly, either step down from Congress or make that announcement. She's not doing that. It ain't gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. So they have to run with Pelosi for better or for worse.
0: And she she is also I mean remains a, a powerhouse fundraiser and tireless campaigner right. and, and, I,
1: and they can't cite you know, anything policy wise it's not it's, I know what
0: what exactly is the specific besides this it's, anyway it's, who it's knows? that
1: Republicans have done too good a job in making her a boogeyman. That's really what the specific critique is, and yeah. this, you know the idea of generational change.
0: All right, Rick, well, we will track all of this uh, for for Rick Klein for our entire powerhouse politics team. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. And a big thank for our expanding empire here, our team, uh, Susie Lute, Trevor Hastings, Avery Miller, Angie Yak, Anna Carl, Elizabeth Brown Kaiser. I could go on. Uh, we have a we have a very we have a powerhouse team here at Powerhouse Politics. Talk to you again soon.